Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. We've got a great adventure for you today. A very funny lady. She's an author. She is um, was a world-class athlete. Um, she's the mother of two. Um, she's got four cats and three dogs. And so her pet bill has got to be higher than her food bill. <clears throat> it's pretty, pretty dramatic. Um, and her name is Randy Lee Boslaw. Boslaw, right? Yep. Oh, got it. Good. Goodness <laughs> gracious. She's an author, speaker, and she's an advocate. And we're going to talk about her new book. That's right. She's got a new book that's coming out. It's a new book. It's coming out in, in May. I believe, and May twentieth. Uh, you know my my um, 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 wedding day and my divorce day were both May twenty first. Really? Huh. I don't know how I managed that, but it was it was pretty pretty cool. So anyway, That's but the twentieth cool. is is in the professional lingo that we use. The book is dropping on yes, the twentieth. Exactly. Get it now. So you can drop right, it right but, on the day. But, but if you go to rbwriting.ca, you can you can pre-order the book now. Um, I think it's well worth your time, especially since uh, the subject matter is really pertinent to what's going on today in both Canada and the United States, which she is currently in Canada. But and I got to ask you because not, I have not met anyone. I've been doing this a while. I've not met anybody who actually took a vacation to Cuba. <laughs> it's my second time going, actually. Really? Yes, um, it's amazing. The beaches are awesome. The people are so friendly. The weather's perfect. The food, the first time I went, the food, not so good. But the second time I went, the food was amazing. Oh, wow. How long did you spend there? A week. Oh, wow. So... Is are the beaches pristine and clean and yes. kind of empty? What do you mean by empty? Like they're full of people? Oh, they're, <laughs> there's lots of people that, that go to the beach and stuff. Because because I'm thinking that the the tourist trade is not because people from America. I mean, we're like you can almost hit a golf club, a golf ball there from from Florida, but we're not allowed to go there. At least yeah, I don't think. Uh, I know you couldn't for a long time. I don't know if the rules have changed around that or not. Um, but yeah, Canadians, tons of us go. Ah. So it's pretty much all Canadians. There's a, a few, you know, Europeans and stuff that come over, but I'm going to say like 90% of their tourism is Canadians. I'm willing to bet. And I'll stand by this forever that if we were to, cause I believe there's a, um, um, a not a blockade, but a, uh, um, we're just not allowed to go there. What, what do you mm -hmm. call that when you, uh, um, um, like a word that came to my mind. It's not the right quarantine, word. It was like quarantine a or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're not allowed to go there, but I'm convinced that if you allowed a bunch of Americans to go with pockets full of money, it would change their economy. It would change their mm -hmm. community. It would change their government and everything because they want everybody wants to uh, make a little bit of money have a nice oh, life yeah. and stuff and, and they're no different so no exactly and they're all very nice so you go you, you 
give them tips and stuff because they're they're really good at what they do and that's uh that's how they make more of their money to have that better life is by leaving them a couple dollars here and there and a couple of dollars to them is a lot of money exactly yeah that may be that may be all they they may work for two dollars a day or three dollars a day and yeah. we, we are so darn lucky in 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 northern america that yep. we've, got, we've got everything we've got but um so i i want to kind of go over your bio a little bit we did the first time that you were here and that was in december of uh 22 and yeah. we talked about your book um uh, thoughts of a wanderer and a mother's truth and we also talked about the fact that you're a personal trainer and you are <laughs> i still can't get you are such a sweet person who is a national yeah. kickboxing champion yeah, kicking people in the head's fun. <laughs> Knocking somebody's head off is fun. It is. It's fun as long as they're not doing it to you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I I thought by see in in my world I, when I was a kid, I uh, it was about the time that Rocky was released, mm -hmm. and so I thought I want to do a sport. I want to do boxing. What I didn't yeah. realize was I grew up in an upper middle class family and did not have the uh, the the anger built up that you that you need for a sport like that and so i treated it like a sport they treated it like it was life and death and when you treat something like it's life and death that's a, that's a it um, it is a big difference yeah yeah it's hard it's hard to do so so since to, all the way back in december what you've been doing with yourself um other than going to cuba <laughs> Uh, finishing the book so now it's out it's live to pre-order um working on my youtube show hiding from the winter <laughs> um, snuggling my animals <laughs> and so, so i i want to know you've got four cats three dogs who gets the bed me and the dogs um and, and then the cats and my husband sleep upstairs <laughs> so he gets the cats you get the dogs Pretty much, yeah. Oh, very, very, very good. You know, that's that's a um, something that is happening more and more. Is that, is that you know it used to be that that married couples needed to sleep together. Um, you know, that's just kind of you know we had a kink side bed. Yes. Before that, if you think even further back, they didn't sleep together and they had their own quarters. Really. Well, think about like the medieval times like i'm talking think way back <laughs> yeah you didn't sleep in the same even same room even same wing of your castle oh that's you know that's that's true if you if you were lucky enough to have a castle well yeah obviously but your home is your castle and uh so he can sleep elsewhere <laughs> <laughs> there were times when i would wake up i go to go to sleep with my beloved ex-wife now and i would wake up alone because i apparently was making noises that she could not go to sleep over uh, mm -hmm. to save her life so um yeah. my, husband, my husband likes to roll over when before we moved here so we had to share a room back then and he would roll over and right in my face go <sighs> Yeah, no. And he's one of those people that has to set like a bajillion morning alarms and doesn't actually wake up till the last one anyways. <laughs> so, so I would like literally kick him out of the bed, like literally with my feet. I mean, like push him, kick him out. 
Because <laughs> the alarm went off. It's time for you to get up. And he said, but it's not the last one. Exactly. So now he can set whatever alarms he wants as long as he is upstairs away from me. And I'll bet you that uh, your marriage is much happier now. I think so. I mean, we've been married now a decade, so. But that, that's that's really cool. That's that, that's really good. So um, tell us about the book a little bit. Tell us about your brother. Tell us about how it all came to be. All right. So the book is called Goodbye Too Soon. Um, and it like I said, we, it releases May 20th. And the reason that I picked that date is that will actually be the two-year anniversary of his death. Um. So two years ago on May 20th, I, um, and I share their story in the book, but, uh, and it'll go much more in depth, but I was at the the pool store getting my water checked for a pool and I got a call. Uh, well, actually I, I'll say a call, but the more details in the book, like I said. So I got a call saying that Brandon was dead. That's my brother's name. And I was like, what? And so they gave me another phone number. I called the other phone number, talked to a police officer and yeah, he was, he was gone. So I'm standing there in the parking lot because it's COVID, so we couldn't go in the store. <laughs> um, standing there in line in the parking lot waiting, and I'm like crying. I have my sunglasses on though, and I'm crying because this is horrible news. I'm trying to figure out what the heck. Um, I'm like, I can't leave because I need my pool water tested, and him being dead doesn't change the fact I need it tested. <laughs> so even if I leave now, I'd have to come back. And there's nothing that you can do if you left now anyway, because everything exactly. is already done. Exactly. Right. Plus, you really shouldn't drive while you're emotional. Right. Um, so the guy came, he took, he checked my water. I had to buy more calcium for my pool. <laughs> but by then I had enough time to kind of calm down to drive back home. It's only about a five, six minute drive. So it wasn't too bad. Um, but I had to, I was the one that had to tell my mom. Um, so I had uh, yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, so That'd I told my yeah, so I told my mom we had a good cry together. Then we had to figure out where we were going to go from there. Um, so in the book, like I said, I go through my, lots more details of how all of that took place. I don't want to you know, give it all away. Oh, no. um, but my mom isn't married. Um, she so and my brother's dad has. I've I've never even met him. So my brother was four years older than me. So. Um, it was just me and my mom to try and plan the funeral and burial and all that stuff. So I go through all of that in the book, the emotional turmoil of it all, how um, there's so many different emotions that you go through with guilt and anger and sadness and the whole gamut of things. Um, but more importantly, I go through addiction and what that can mean to be a family member of somebody who has an addiction. So I do a lot of book reviews. I talk to a lot of authors on my YouTube show. And what I found is a lot of books are written from the person with an addiction's perspective. And those are great books. Don't get me wrong. I've read some really awesome ones. Um, but this one is for more of the family or friends of that person. So it's a little bit different than, than the addiction books that are out there right now. Um, and so I go through, there's a whole chapter on explaining who my brother was. Because that's one of the biggest stigmas with addiction is they're just a druggie. They're just an addict. Cross the street. Don't go see them. Don't talk to them. Um, they have family and friends that love them and miss them. So I go, there, there's a whole chapter trying to like going through that early on in the book so that you can kind of connect with who he was as a person and not as an addict, which is really important. 
You know, I'll I'll tell you, uh, Randy Lee, that um, I was just talking with a gentleman earlier today that's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks, um, and he cited a hundred thousand people in the United States a year are dying from opiate overdose yeah. and, <clears throat> and overdoses in general. And so what used to be a stigma that happened to just those people is now becoming a really unfortunate mainstream problem that we are not going to be able to not deal with. Yeah. We are, we're going to, we're going to have to, because we are losing. If you think about a hundred thousand and most of these are young people. Yeah. Yeah. My brother was only in his thirties. Yeah. So anywhere from the the teenage years to the thirties and most, most of them. And so we're losing so many of them that we're losing an entire generation. This is, yeah. this is worth, I'm much older than you, but in Vietnam, when we lost 56,000 uh, kids that were between the ages of 18 and 20 in the United States, there was a feeling that, that we had lost a generation. Yeah. Uh, we are losing much more than that annually. And yeah. so is very important because a lot of people are going going to, if they haven't been going through it yet, they're going to be going through the exact same thing that you did. Yeah. And I think, you know, that saying the six, the six steps of separation or whatever it is. Yep. The, um, seven bacon, the seven steps of separation. Yeah. The, yeah. We, we've all been touched by addiction in some way, whether it's a friend of a friend of mine or a parent. Um because addiction isn't just drugs either. I mean, that my brother was addicted to drugs. And like you said, there is more stats on opioid um, abuse and that kind of thing. But addiction, and I talk about this in the book. So um, talking about how addiction is a mental health concern, a mental health illness. And mm -hmm. I go through what the DSM-5 describes as that and even risk factors of developing an addictive personality based on what the research says. Um, and Within that, I talk about how addiction is not just drugs, but oftentimes you hear the word addiction and you automatically think drugs, but that's alcohol, that's cigarette, sex, um, gambling, shopping, so many things, right? You can be addicted to pretty much anything. Food is a big one too that people don't like to talk about. Um, and so I, I run through all of that to, again, it's not... That they wake up in the morning and go, you know, it'd be great if I went and got <laughs> super high today and lost my job and didn't see my kids. I would love that. Maybe got to got to go steal bikes to go to turn them in so that I can get enough money to get some drugs or, or right. I'm going to steal. You know, I got an idea. My my dad has got some money and I'm going to go steal it from him. He won't mind. He's got lots of money. It's fine. It's totally fine. Right. And they don't wake up thinking that's what they want to do with their lives, but yeah. that's how the addiction takes over. So I try my best to describe all that. I'm not a doctor by any stretch of the imagination, but I did my research. I was in school for psychology. So, you know, there is some research in there, some, some facts, hard facts. I put some stats in there as well. Um, because, yeah, we are losing, like you said, a whole generation really to this. And Remember how you're saying, you know, it's that person. Well, I mean, we've both mentioned it. If you were to line my brother up with a bunch of other people, you wouldn't have been able to pick out that he was a drug addict. 
just by, based on what he looks like. You cannot tell a person based on what they look like. I do know some. my cousin is or he's a little better now. He's, he is working on it. Um, but when he was in the throes of his addiction, he looked like that person, but it's, it's not always that clear. It's usually not that clear. The amount of people that I have talked to on my show, um, who have been addicted, um, they held down good paying jobs. They, they had families. They did not appear to visually look like they had an addiction so you can't always pick you can't usually pick it out well you know the interesting thing about that is is that in the beginning in the beginning god could know in the in the beginning of of an addiction it's like this is really fun i like this i love the way it makes me feel but there's a point in time when it turns from i love the way this makes me feel to when if I don't have it, I hate the way this makes me feel. Yep. And so then they have it, have to have it just to maintain um, a normal lifestyle. And exactly. then they, they get a little immune to it. Well, you've done all the research too. They get, a, they get immune to it a little bit. And so they have to get a higher dose to get the same mm-hmm. effect and higher doses and higher doses. And then you introduce fentanyl which is a disaster for our, for us. Cause it takes so little. And, yes. and, and if you, and so it's, so, you know, that it, it's kind of unintended consequences. Yeah, exactly. Um, in college, actually, I did a placement at a drug and alcohol recovery house and it takes, I read this really good book. I can't think of what it was called off the top of my head. I mean, college was, over 10 years ago. Um, but anyways, <laughs> was this really good book. And it talked about the cycle of addiction and how people often what, you know, the saying of fall off the wagon. And it takes them more than once. It's I can't remember the stat in the book, but it was it was more than three times, I think, of trying to um get help before the help actually stuck. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, for, for those that are like, oh, my goodness, they're talking about addiction. They're talking to me. It's OK if you tried and don't work the first time or the second time or the third time. What matters is you keep trying. Why do you think it is that uh, so many of us consider it a quote unquote moral failing or a weakness that you uh that you have that that it, it certainly wouldn't happen to anybody that I know because my people are strong and they're not morally yeah. and weak like that. Why do we think like that? Any idea? That is a really good question. I think it, it has a lot of different layers to it. So going back to my brother, when he died, my mom didn't want to tell people how he died. Right. And in fact, when I told my mom I was going to write a book about it, she wasn't all that happy at first. She's okay <laughs> with it now totally chill with it now um but it took her time because she didn't want people to know that her son remember not not that my brother no her son died by well it was fentanyl actually um because and and i don't know for certain how she was feeling but i know my mom fairly well you know um and i think it had a lot to do with it made it look like she didn't raise him right. She failed Correct. as a parent yep. because he was addicted to drugs. 
Yep. What did you do? What did you do wrong that caused him to be addicted to drugs? Exactly. And so I often have to say to her, you know, these were his choices that he made. Um, and in the book, I talk a lot about that and a lot about the guilt associated with having a family member die. Because even though in my head, I'm, I'm telling myself, there's nothing I could have done. I mean, I'm four years younger than him. When he started doing drugs as a teenager, I was like 10. <laughs> like, what was I going to do? nothing. Um, but there is that sense of what could I have done? Could I have said something different? Uh, and I talk about the last couple of conversations I have with him. Um, I talk about that in the book. And again, it's that sense of could I have said something different? No. <laughs> but in, in a, the process of dealing with it all, it's could I have, should I have, um, would it have made a difference? But ultimately, it's their decision. All we can do is be there for them. And that doesn't always mean being directly there for them. So what I mean by that is, um, and again, all of this is talked about in the book. I, I really go into a lot of the depth about the emotional side of things um, yeah. and loving them from a distance. In fact, the book's original title was going to be um, Loving from a Distance, but then I liked Goodbye Too Soon a little better. Um, I think Goodbye Too Soon says a lot yeah. about, you know, because he he left he left the planet way too soon exactly um and so but the original title was going to be uh love from a different distance because in order to maintain my mental health and my safety because that's the other thing about people with addictions is they're not always safe to be around so to protect myself and, and my my kid i had to set these boundaries in place where I am there for you. If you need a drive to detox, I will drive you to detox. If you need pots and pans for your house, I will get you some pots and pans. No, I am not giving you money. No, you're not coming over to my house. Um, no, I'm not going to continue a conversation with you if you start calling me the B word. Like, sorry. not. And I had to put that in place. And it was a lot of well, should I, should I not have had those boundaries? Or why did I? Ha and having to remind myself why they were there. and why they were so important and they were important. So making sure that it you're okay with yourself, that you had to do that and giving yourself permission and reminding, you know, it's not my fault that he chose what he chose. I wish he didn't choose that. I wish I could have gone him help, uh, like helped him to get help. But again, it's their decision. It's been my experience that um, in driving a bus for a long time and being around people uh, that have you abused substances to a great degree, you can't help them unless they want to help themselves. Yeah. You can't force them into rehab or it won't take. Exactly. Um, you know, there, there are lots of people that will go into rehab just to get, just to get detoxed a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then they go back into the same lifestyle, the same people, the same community. And yeah. within days they're using again. And mm -hmm. the, the, the insidious part now is, they could they could be starting to use again. I know of two different people, young people, that that were um, they they were using. They went into detox. They came out and they they got hooked up with some bad drugs and they both died. Yep, and and that's what it was. My brother, um, he was actually in the midst of applying to a rehab facility, um, so he just wanted one last hit. You know that that one last thing. 
It never it's, is that one last thing, right? Oh, oh I could just imagine. I, and I, I don't mean to make light of it or laughing, but it's... No, it, I, I've, it's, I've had to laugh too at times. It is the human condition for us to say, well, on Monday morning, I'm going to check myself into detox. So on Saturday night, I'm going to blow the doors off of life and I'm going to have myself a, just a dandy good old time. Yeah. And then I'll be hungover on Sunday and then I'll be ready to go on Monday. Yep. People think Actually, like that. They do. Actually, um, there was a book that I reviewed. Oh, it was by J.T. Wahlberg, uh, another Canadian. I had him on my show. Um, and he talked about, what is his book called? Oh, I Forgot to Stay Sober. Loved that title. Love that title. Um, I, I actually got to listen to an audio version and he does it himself and it's really well done. But that's one of the things when he decided I'm going to go into rehab, he had a whole big blowout that weekend. Right. And <laughs> yeah. that, that and he talks about how that is the mindset, you know, and the same thing with me because when I was um, fighting, it was like, OK, I know that my fight is in, say, two months today. I'm going to eat all the junk food I want because for the next two months I'm having nothing. It's not good for you at all. No. Your body does not like that. But that it, it's a mind. It really is a mindset of very, very common mindset. And and and, and it's unfortunate that, that we have that. And and but I don't think that we in this country, at least in the United States, you speak to Canada. I don't think that we're doing enough to not only get the kids off of the medications and get, but but also giving them the. Um, the support that they need to be able to yeah. get that done. And, and it's mental support. It's, it's, you know, there's, there's just a myriad of issues. And by the time you yeah. get down, go down the rabbit hole that you are a full blown addict, um, you can add that to the list of everything else that's going on in their life. Right. And yeah, I know Canada is the same. We do not have the, the support system here that needs to be in place. Um, when I go through the multiple risk factors in the book, I, I talk about what they are and then I link them back to how they fit Brandon, right? So it all links back together. And, um, you know, anxiety is one of like having a predisposition, um, having trauma in your life and all of those things that if there was help available. And again, I really shouldn't say if this happened, he would be dead. Um, but just, you know, if certain things were put into place, maybe he wouldn't have been in that same situation. So hopefully, you know, people will learn from this, you know, the, the big higher ups who make those decisions um, and put things into place so that when a kid, a teenager, a young adult, whatever stage of life it is that they are struggling with, when they're in that situation, they get the help they need then. So it doesn't pile on and pile on and pile on until they're like, you know what, the only thing that can make me feel better right now is to go and do drugs. Because that I I think that was how my brother was dealing with the bullying that he went through, with the anxiety he had, um, with the lack of male support in his life. Like my mom tried her best. She really did. But he his dad was a jerk. My dad, dad. is a jerk. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you want details, you read the book about them. But really, like <laughs> only having female um role models for him wasn't enough right and again they tried their best and that's why things like big brothers big sisters exists um and i i believe my mom tried to get him a big brother but the wait list was so long that 
by the time it was coming to, it didn't matter anymore. He was already where he was at. And he'd already aged out, probably. Yeah, probably. Again, I was the little sister, so I don't have all the details, but probably. You know, the the interesting thing about all of that is that uh, there are places in the United States that are government run and they treat it like a revolving door. Yeah. Um, they're interested in getting the money that they get paid for each uh, person that is going through their rehab. They put them through two weeks of rehab. They kick them out the door. They don't give them the tools to be able to fight whatever it was that brought them in there in the first place. And uh, so they're back again. And the company that's running the rehab still makes the money. Yeah, exactly. And so I know the the place that I did my um, placement in co-op or it was called a placement when the one I did in college, there was guys that it was a male recovery house. Um, there was guys that they would leave and, you know, in a couple of weeks you'd see them try to come back in and, you know, like I talked about before, you fall off, you, you got to keep trying, keep trying. Um, what I liked about that place and not all the places are the same was that it was very structured. The day was very structured where we were trying to help them get coping strategies and, you know, these are the AA meetings when they're happening. Here's here's our different group sessions that we're doing and try and connect them with different um, available services. But again, if they're not willing to be honest with themselves and, and put in the work that they need to put in, it, it's not going to take the first, second, third time, right? It, it does take some time, but it it's the same. So I actually said this to my therapist last week. So I was going in and we were talking about stuff and i i said she she asked me a question so we're talking about past traumas specifically actually some ptsd stuff so we're talking about that and i and she goes so is your thought realistic on, the, on what we're talking about I go no but i don't know what else to tell myself because every time i think about this i get so anxious and my heart pounds and i, I have flashbacks and the whole nine yards i'm like so i don't know how to answer this next question that's why I'm here. And she's like, I know. So we're going to talk it out. And I'm like, so anxious. I go, and I want to be honest and tell you all of this, because if I'm not honest with you, why am I paying you all this money? <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's just it. And you have to really be honest. Um, and it's not like that was our first session. I don't think that I would have been able to say all of the different things that I said to her in, in even one of the first couple of sessions, but I've been with her a long time now. So we're able to kind of crack open that shell a little more, a little more. Um, but if you're not honest, it, it's not going to work. And part of the problem is until you get into it, you sometimes you don't even know what to be honest about because you don't know what it is that's really going on inside of yourself. Oh, exactly. Um, yeah. She asked certain questions and I'm like, oh my gosh, just, I didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> that that happened to my to my ex-wife. She we were sitting in a, a group meeting, and it was they everybody was going around, and the the facilitator was uh, talking to each person in turn and saying, "How are you? What is your life like?" They turned to her, and she she and she looked her my wife straight in the eye and said, "How is your life today?" She started <laughs> crying. Couldn't stop crying, had to leave um, because it, because it was, she, and, she, and I asked her later, why were you crying? What was coming up for you? I have no idea. I was just crying because yeah. so many of us bury, excuse the expression, 
so many of us bury shit so deep mm-hmm. that we that we can't even get back to it to save our life. Yep. And yep, that's so. and that really is, you know, that really is unfortunate. You know, I sh- I really need to go to a therapist to talk about when I was 10 years old, 11 years old. Um my brother hung me by the neck. What? My brother hung me by the neck. I heard um, the words, but what? um it was long ago there was a movie called uh hang em high and i was in the theater and we were uh um watching previews and that movie came on and so we had a backyard that had an apricot tree and my brother had a rope with a loop and next to a ladder and so i know what would happen i he has never he's passed now but he never said because i've asked i asked him now what was going through your mind when you did and because what he did is i put my head through the noose and he pulled the ladder away and i and um i and i asked him later on you know a long time later on what were you thinking i don't know it just it just happened but so I've often wondered if I should go see somebody because I may have PTSD around that whole issue. Yeah. I, I'm i never left speechless, but damn, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I know. That's, that's, <laughs> I've never heard of that, of a brother doing that to someone. Well, he also put me in the dryer one time and turned it yeah, on. like. You're telling the story like there was no malice to it, right? It was just like, oh yeah, we just were doing this in the backyard, just hanging out together. I there wasn't on my part until until he pulled the ladder away, and I, then I had rope burns from ear to ear, and uh, and then he he took those you know those little band aids. Yes. He, he took those little band-aids and put them around my neck so that uh, my mom wouldn't see that I had rope burns. But but nothing ever happened to him. So, um, from oh. it was weird. It the, the that you know, is and, weird. See, and that's one of those things that I don't know how that affected me one way or another. But because I've never really talked to it about a, you know, how did you feel about that? And yeah. It's like it hurt like hell. I don't know. I was ten. You know, and, and sometimes I mean, sometimes those incidents leave us with lasting impressions, and sometimes they're just things that have happened, and you move on, like. It everyone is so different, but that's wow, shocker! You shocked me. <laughs> I, I, you know, and but you know what was interesting about that when my brother, my brother got stage four lung cancer, oh. and so he had like six months to live, oh. and that's when it came up for me. Yeah, it came up for me then is why would you do that to me? And now you're going to die. And I'm never going to know what you were thinking about that. Cause he wouldn't talk about it. And, and that, that brought up a lot of anger for me. And that's, that's kind of how I felt when Brandon died. I was like, how dare you? How dare you die on me before we've worked out our issues? How dare you die on me before I've had a chance to tell you how pissed off I am at you for all those years of doing what you did. And actually, great story. I I, I keep saying I share it in the book because everything's in the book, but I go really into this. So when, when we buried him, my mom wanted everybody to go up and talk to him 
And not like to uh, like not to the people that were there, like literally look at the grave and, and talk to them. So I went around and made sure everybody went up. Then it was my turn. So I go up and I'm I'm sitting there going, I, I leaned down close to the grave so nobody could hear me. And I and I whisper yelled at him. I was like, how dare you? I cannot believe right now that I am here burying you. You are supposed to be alive right now so that when mom dies, we're fighting over her funeral arrangements. And I'm supposed to win that fight because obviously I win that fight. And like I'm going and going and just when I get mad at him, and then my godmother walks by and she goes, are you yelling at the boy? I go, yeah. And I stand up. I am yelling at him. And you know what? All y'all should be yelling at you. Doesn't mean I'm not sad. Doesn't mean I'm, I, I don't miss him. But I'm pissed off. And I don't see how none of y'all are pissed off and how none of y'all are yelling at him right now, too. And so now I'm giving everyone else there who is grieving, who is crying, everyone else there who is very, I'm yelling at them and giving them crap. Because they're not yelling at Brandon, even though I know we're all mad that we're standing there in June burying Brandon. And Man. we're all saying, oh, he was such a nice person. He was such a good person. We're going to miss him. And again, I am going to miss him. But let's be real. In the last 20 years, he has been addicted to drugs. When he's not on drugs, he is a nice person. My brother has literally given somebody the shirt off of his back. Because that person didn't have a shirt and Brandon had more. So he was a good person. But in all honesty, he was also, pardon my friend, a dick. He stole from us. He called us, called me names lots of times. He just did whatever he wanted instead of raising his kids. Like, there's all this laundry list of, of reasons, too, that he was not a good person. Right. And when you are in the throes of your addiction, a lot of times you're manipulative. You you want to get your fix. So you say whatever you have to say to that person to then get your fix. And so I'm like, so you y'all can say whatever you want about him. But the truth and the fact of the matter is we are mad right now. We are sad, mad, mad, sad. <laughs> as, as, as well, you as well, you really should have been. Yeah. And it was so releasing to get all of that out because for the last month so between when he died and when he was buried there was a month um the funeral was just a few like a week later but my mom waited to bury him because of covid and the covid rules were changing so that more people could come to the burial because only 10 people could come to the funeral oh yeah so the burial we could have up to 50 people so my mom wanted to wait because the rules were changing so we waited but so that meant for an entire month I had to hold it together because my mom couldn't hold it together. And so I was the strong one in the family. I was the one that could get stuff done. I could make the phone calls. I could talk to insurance. I could do it all, right? Which is fine. I had no problem doing that. But once everything was said and done and he was in the ground and I didn't have to worry about holding it together anymore, there was no more decisions that needed to be made. His his stuff was taken care of. Um, I just let it go. I was had to let it go we had no choice yeah it would it would just it would quite literally it could destroy you if you yeah. didn't if you didn't take the attitude that you did and i'm sure writing the book is very therapeutic as well it, it really was and going through not just my experience in the book and getting that down almost like a journaling kind of experience but doing some research behind you know risk factors and, and the um, how it is a mental health disorder and that kind of thing really showed me the other side of things too, 
Like, and I sort of knew them a little bit because, like I said, I did psychology in college. Um, but it really gave me a different view of the crap that my brother had to go through. And especially when I was doing the risk factors, because I really had to think about um, why, how did this affect him? So, for instance, when we're talking, when I said, you know, past trauma is one of the risk factors, and I go, okay, I know he was bullied a lot. And then I would stop and I had to think about all the conversations that I remember that I only get snippets of because, again, being the younger sister, but remembering that my brother had to switch schools multiple times because the amount of bullying was so severe that my mom felt if I switched him schools, maybe he would have a better chance. That's that. No, that's horrible. And that, and that's a life changing thing. Yeah. So something like that. And then thinking about how um, his dad wasn't around. And then in grade eight, his dad randomly came back into the picture, told him that it was my mom's fault that he wasn't around, which is a total lie. Um, so my brother moved in with him for that year of grade eight. It was weird not having my brother, like we always lived together. Right. And so um, he lived there for his grade eight year, which wasn't even the same region. Like I don't remember exactly where he was, but he was a couple hours away. And then my mom went to his grade eight graduation and his dad didn't stay because he saw the diploma and my brother, my mom had changed my brother's last name to her last name years and years ago. Right. Cause I mean, he, he had left, he wasn't around. My mom didn't even have a way to contact him. Right. So she's, you know, he's going to have my last name that he's not going to have keep yours if you're not going to be around. And his dad saw that and left. He did not stay for his grade eight graduation. He just left him there. So, so yeah. So I, and I'm stopping. And so as I'm writing this book, I'm thinking about all of these things that at the time meant nothing to me. Right. At the time, you know, he's in grade eight. So I'm in grade four, meant nothing to me. But then I'm thinking and I'm remembering them. And, you know, over the years, I've heard different stories come out and I'm like, wow, that, that didn't mess him up. I totally understand how that could mess him up. Uh, so that was really therapeutic as well. Just kind of thinking about the backside of of how, what led Brandon to where he was. I, you know, I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you wrote the book for several reasons. One of which is it was good for you. The other one is going to be good for people who read the book. You can go to rbwriting.ca and you can pre-order the book now. It comes out on May twentieth. Um, that you, and that will be going everywhere, but you can get it now. And, uh, because somebody, there's a lot of time between now and May and somebody who needs that book may need it now. And, uh, it may make a, a difference in their life. Um, it might save a life. I hope that would be wonderful. <laughs> yes, it would be. Can we talk about your podcast real quick? Of course we can. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of your podcast? So it's called Write or Die Show. So write, W-R-I-T-E, or die show. It's for writers. It's for writers and for mental health people. So I interview other authors and we talk about mental health. Um, at the end, we do, of course, talk about what they've written. But it's not, it's not about writing in and of itself. The podcast is about mental health. So I've had guests on the show that have talked about addiction lately. like I had mentioned JT Wahlberg before um and actually on the YouTube channel for it I've got it 
divide it up into categories. So if you're like, I just want to know about the depression interviews, you can actually just go to the playlist for depression. So I've had, who have I had? I've had depression, anxiety, um, addiction, PTSD, uh, eating disorders. I've had a couple schizophrenia, um, a couple random ones. So I've had somebody that talked about amnesia, which isn't necessarily a mental health um, condition, but the way it affected the family. Um, and that story was crazy cool. Um, and who, then, who was that? Do you remember? Um, I'm trying to think. It was a female. It was her husband that had the amnesia. Was he? Was he also a pastor? Yes. Same guy. You're right. That was that was an incredible story. Yep, it really was. And I reviewed their book too, and it was like, whoa. Yeah. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad you did that. I'm glad we both had the opportunity to interview them because mm -hmm. I, I just, you know, he went into the hospital. He had an event. He went into the hospital. He woke up and didn't know who anybody was. Can yep. you imagine? That would be so scary. And and For like. Everyone. Yeah, and they've got what was it? Three boys, I think. Yep. Like that—that's so scary. Why doesn't Dad know that I'm? Because he—he remembered he was married. He remembered he had kids, but it was like what, like five years of his life had just vanished. Yes, and they—they they had this beautiful big house, and they had a to-do list, and they had to work, 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 work to keep everything up. And he was yep. a pastor, and he was doing all this other stuff. And when he came out of the hospital, and they—and he started reviewing his old life, he yeah. started questioning everything that they had done that he hadn't questioned ever before. Exactly. So I was like, "Why are we doing this? What's 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 why am I working so hard for this?" Yeah. And so. And so they ended up changing, it changed their entire life. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad that what, that it, all his memory came back because yeah. that, that would have been so hard, but yeah, I, I had a chance to interview the wife and I, I did read their book. It was, it was very inspirational, very cool. Well, you, you are, you are um, remarkable. And the name of the podcast again is. Right or die show. You know, I got to tell you, I, I've been doing something new that I've never done before, never been able to do before. And that is I, my, my um, assistant has been bugging me for the longest time to do quotes, to write small, little 30-second quotes that could go on shorts and, and stuff uh, for, like, Instagram and, yeah, yeah. and YouTube and that. And I've never done that. I, I never never thought that I could do that. Yeah. Well, I, I've written eight of them now, and they're mm. really good. Mm, are you going to tell me one? Um, well, I can actually even, uh, let me see if I can't uh, bring one up so you can see. And you can oh. see the work that she's done with it as well. It's It really is pretty cool. Ooh, that's exciting. Actually, I know I've been trying to take little snippets um, of my interviews so I could post them on TikTok. And I remember sometimes, and I try very hard to do it, but I really should get better at it. Like you said, put it on my Instagram and stuff too. Uh, yes. And so here, let me, let me see if. Uh... I'm okay. just filling time while you find it. So Thank we're not you. Dead. <laughs> tell, tell everybody about, about your podcast one more time. Yeah, so the Write or Die show, um, it's available on YouTube, at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you, where you want to listen to it, it's available on that as well. If you do want to watch it on YouTube, be sure to hit the subscribe button or follow if you're doing it on Spotify so that uh, we can up 
the subscribers and everything. And it's all about mental health and uh, a lot of useful information on there. Yes. Okay. So this is one that I did <clears throat> yesterday. Okay. It has been downloaded uh, or, or viewed 1,100 times on YouTube since yesterday. Dang. And 500 times on Instagram or on, on TikTok and stuff. But this is this is this is what she and I are coming up with. I don't with think I follow you on TikTok. I'm shocked. Simply shocked, darling. Uh, I do right now. I do right now. Is it just yeah. positive talk radio or is it something else? I believe it's positive talk radio, yeah. So, so but but pay attention, watch this. I know I am. Why are we all here? This is a question for the ages. At one point or another, we all ask the same things. Why are we here and what am I here to do? While the answer is different for every one of us, and some spend their whole life looking, you can find it if you just be quiet and listen to your heart and intuition and the natural passion you have for certain aspects of your life. In short, your heart is free. Have the courage to follow it. This inspiring piece of wisdom is brought to you by Positive Talk Radio. So what do you think? That was really good. Well, good. That um, would take like so much effort like to find all the little clips and stuff. Oh, she is she is just I've been working with her for, for like 6 months. She's just phenomenal. That is awesome. And as I'm watching it, I'm going, huh, I could take like some of my poems because obviously I have poems and I could do that. But then I'm like, yes. oh, I got to find all the little video clips to do it all. <laughs> and and find the music and all that stuff. But but yeah. uh, um, and you and I need to talk. We can uh, because um, you and I need to talk. Well, we, we might be able to work together a little bit on that. OK, sounds good um and stuff so and, like, uh, randy lee it's been such a pleasure to talk to you again today so much fun coming on the show i absolutely love coming on we have such a good talk yes we do and you and you are such a dynamic exciting individual you've got you've got great energy it's just you're, you're just you're just fun and i i really really enjoy um you and the work that you're doing and um you can probably kick my ass if we got into a, a, a kickboxing <laughs> match um and all that kind of good stuff so you well, let's not try that i kind of like you i don't want to do it no <laughs> i would be dead uh so you know it's but it's it's great fun and and you need to go to her website and get her book which is rbwriting.ca and the name of the book again is goodbye too soon and you could also just any... look on amazon right. and find two now can you pre-order from amazon yes oh that's, that's actually even if you go to my website it'll take you back to amazon that's good so go to go go to amazon and uh and um look at um uh, randy lee and boslaw is her last name and uh um but that it, it, and that's that's in the title of, the, of your books as well, as far as the author goes. So, anything else you'd like to add? Tell tell my audience, our audience, because oh, by the way, since we've got time before May, will you come back again? Yes, 
when it's close to be released. You're totally one of my favorite hosts. Actually, you might be my favorite host. Oh, cool! But we're gonna. I want to. I want to put you on KKNW 1150 AM on one of those shows. Um, Sounds good to me. And because that that broadcasts into the Seattle area. Um, so and because you're you're gonna be famous one day. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there anything that you would like to tell our audience before we go? Um, just try to follow your passions. And also because our, our whole topic today was addiction, um, be gentle with yourself, whether you are the person who has an addiction and you need to seek help, it's okay. Or whether you're the family or friend who's like, I really don't want to not talk to you, but I got to not talk to you again, be gentle with yourself. Cause it's okay. If you have to set those boundaries. And, and in some cases necessary. <clears throat> My son's uh, best friend from high school, uh, he got into pot, then he got into barbs, then he got into uh, heroin, and yeah. he started and doing that. Nobody knew. His dad didn't know. His mom didn't know. And so they yeah. said, we're going to, and then they said, I want to go to school, go to college. I want to go away to college. So they yeah. picked Arizona State University, which is broadly known as the party school of the United States. Oh. He yeah. lasted a quarter, spent $20,000, and became addicted to cocaine and Oof. heroin. Oof. And then he came back, and they still didn't know, and he stole $25,000 from his father, his, uh, his, um, wow. His, his stepfather, uh, cause he had a, a safe in his house and he knew the combination. So you don't know, you just don't yeah. know when it can happen and you might not even see it until it's too late. Yeah. So pay attention. So thank you again, uh, Randy Lee. It's been, it's been such a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much for having me again. And I look forward to being on again. <laughs> uh, you must. You have to. It's a rule. I, okay. I, I just made that up and it's a rule and it's enforceable. Dang it. So there. All right. I like it. Okay. Wait right there for a sec. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we got.